Okay, so we can find the reading, so Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 49, on page 1033, if you have those Bibles. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, uh, kingdom of God. (laughs) Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, Do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to repay it in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from the thorn bushes or grapes from the briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So the road, uh, you can see in the outline there is, uh, on, in the booklet there's an outline on page 8. Uh, that's the whole structure of the passage and I'm going to pass over a lot of it. So actually that little line there, upside down, upside down love, is where we're going to spend most of our time. So the order of the breaking down that it all is not um, equal. And just so you know, let me pray and then let's uh, open up God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that Jesus not only saves us, but he helps us to see how he wants his new kingdom to look like. And what should not be surprising to us is that we follow his lead and his example of love. So help us to wrestle with that now. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Question for you to start off with, what impresses you? Anything at all, what impresses you? Feel free to yell it out, whatever pops into your mind, as random as it is, what is something that impresses you? Corolla. Excellent. Well done, Gabby. I asked some people at the door and one of them said me and I thought, well, sometimes we can lie about what impresses us and what do they want? But I'm cynical. Um, what else do we, what, what, what impresses us? Yeah. Well, why is everyone doing the old, uh... <laughs> of course, that would have to be the case, right? Um, sorry? Grace under fire. Thank you, Jen. I don't understand what you mean. I'm trying to figure it out. Ah, excellent. That's good. Yeah, that's absolutely. Being gracious, that's going to get to the heart of the passage today. Um, I had someone say to me, the body and how it works, it's deeply impressed. That's very true, isn't it? How these things work is amazing. Um, anyone else? Frank? Uh, the, uh, world is just a little ball hanging in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice. Yep. Last one? Okay, those guys, if you've never seen them, they're ridiculous. They are able to perform these amazing tricks where they can throw things into holes and do all these tricks. If you type Dude Perfect into YouTube, you will be amazed. And they're actually a bunch of Christian guys who got together because they were looking for other Christian guys at university, which is interesting hearing this story. All right, so we can list off things that are impressive. And when it comes generally to the world, it's things of great skill. Those in power seem to be um, impressive. Those that have lots of money, those that are successful, celebrity, we, we can say we don't think it's impressive, but the world acts as if that's what it's all about. That's what's impressive. Well, what do we find unimpressive? Well, maybe it wouldn't be wrong to say lying, cheating, we want to say politicians, maybe we do, corruption, all sorts of things. Um, Find lots of things we find very unimpressive. 
I'm very unimpressed with the Australian cricket team at the moment and I think all the leadership should be sacked. We need, we don't like things that seem lower. To the world standard, what is unimpressive is the weak, the poor, those that don't have any status, those that don't have anything that other people can see as, wow, they've got it all together. We have the impressive and then we have the unimpressive in the world. When it comes to God's kingdom, it's supposed to look very unimpressive. And here's the thing, that's what actually makes it impressive. If you can hold that idea together, that is what I want you to see today as we look at what Jesus is doing. Because what he's doing, he's showing us that this kingdom is a very different type of kingdom. And what's happened so far in the story, we're we're into chapter 6 now, and we've seen that Jesus has come. He's come in in a backwater way, but behind the meaning of that is God's king has arrived. And God is so impressed with him, he's endorsed him, he's come, he's promised to bring in a new kingdom. He said all the promises of the Old Testament that Sue helpfully showed us, all those stories are intertwined. Jesus comes, and we've seen allusions to all that intertwining of those stories, I'm coming now and it's going to be this kingdom. And we've seen him start his ministry. We see his ministry is to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that repentance is what it's all about, and that it's going to be for the poor, the outsider. The outsiders who aren't impressive. And then in chapter 6, in great detail, Jesus outlines what the people of the kingdom are going to be like. He does that after he tells in verses 12 to 16, he gets some of his uh, uh, key disciples together, the 12, and they're named. And then in verse 17, we get Jesus on what's known as the Sermon on the Plain, explaining what God's kingdom looks like. And we're just going to skim over this first bit, not because it's not deeply important, but because I want us to focus on the, the key bit of love that we have today. But Let's have a look at how he describes it. Uh, after he's done all the uh, more healings and, and what we've seen previously and that his power uh, has uh, come to heal people, we see in verse 20, if you've got it in front of you, he says to his disciples, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. The unimpressive blessed ones. That's how I've labelled this section because what we're seeing is how upside down this kingdom continues to be. That those who have nothing, the poor, whether it's financial, whether it's an outsider, an outcast because of your health, whatever it is, the kingdom is coming for you. It's flipped around. Those who have no hunger, are hungry. When you're hungry, you're not satisfied. It hasn't been quenched. Flip it around, you will be satisfied. Those who in tears weep, you will laugh. The pain is replaced 
by joy. Jesus is saying that what looks unimpressive in the world is actually what is going to be impressive into all eternity. And so when people hate, in verse 22, and insult you, it's because of Jesus, the Son of Man. And so, as you've got the unimpressive blessed ones, Jesus flips it and looks, looks at the impressive cursed ones. Verse 24, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, now you'll go hungry. Why do you laugh now? You will mourn and weep. See how Jesus has flipped it. If you think getting power, prestige, status and having everything you need now is what's impressive and it looks impressive and on one level it is, it all goes away into eternity without Jesus. To actually look impressive in the world's kingdom is to be cursed. And so, this thing that we keep talking about in Luke's Gospel, that when Luke is saying the kingdom of God is coming and Jesus is bringing it in, this kingdom, this new community, is completely upside down to the way the world thinks. It's the other way around, and it's perplexing, it's confusing, and it is astounding. And that is because, at the heart of it, is love. At the heart of this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about is love. And as I said there on the outline, in which we're going to spend pretty much the rest of our time in today, it is upside down love. It is a very different love to the world around. What do the unimpressive ones live like? They live with love that comes from God. The disciples' love should be out of the ordinary compared to the way people usually love. In fact, it should seem ridiculous. It should seem skew-if. And that is why if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be profoundly confronted today. I've been really confronted by this passage this week just because how hard it is to kind of get your head around and also because it's so instructional for the character and shape that we should be. And if you're not sure where you are with God or you know that you don't, you're not a follower of Jesus, today gives you a great opportunity to see what God wants his people to look like and will have clarity as well on how you become part of that people. So have a look with me at verse 27 and we're going to kind of trace through these ideas. What happens first of all? We get the overarching idea that I introduced uh, today with. He says, but to you who are listening, he's saying to the disciples, those who follow me, you who are following me, in three words, love your enemies. It's very difficult to carry out because they're your enemies. See, the, the, the Israelites, they know they are supposed to love their neighbours. 
but their enemies, those that aren't the people of God. Does this actually include the Romans? Is this what you're saying, Jesus? Those that have persecuted us and trodden us down, are you saying that individually we're to think of those that we encounter as to love them? That's another story altogether. And that is what Jesus has said. And we see that first, first of all, that's the general overarching approach. And then he gives us some specifics to help nail it down. And that's when it starts to kind of, we start to jump into the, the rabbit hole and it gets deeper and deeper. Firstly, do good. Do good to those who hate you. That's pretty radical, isn't it? I found it very helpful to go back and, and read from those that have uh, really... Um, wrestled with Luke's gospel and one of the commentators I like reading a book he said the radical character as well as the difficulty of what Jesus demands is clear that the radical character of this is clear what Jesus is expecting is plain what's not so plain is how hard this is how bizarre it can be from those looking from the outside it's way more than intellectual. We can nod to it. We can assent to it in our minds. We can see this approach to our thinking and we can go away today in our, in our, uh, as we walk out thinking this is a good way to be. This is the way I should be. Or that we can see that Jesus has in view love in action. It's a little bit like teaching children to say sorry Versus teaching them the idea of repentance. Right? Have you um, ever engaged, um, even when you were a kid, you might even think about this. You know, you do something wrong and you say sorry and then it's all done. I'm sorry. It's okay now. I can get what I need because I've said sorry. Well, it's good that you have to acknowledge that you've done wrong. But it's another thing altogether to acknowledge you've done wrong and turn around and not do it again and to live differently. And again, that's what kids wrestle with, right? I've said sorry, so everything's clear, but actual true sorry means you turn around and do something different. That's what we're seeing, that there's something profoundly deep that we need to understand. It goes beyond just the superficial, it goes into loving in action. And it's not just action. Look at the second specific in 28. Bless those who curse you. You move from actions to words. And what do we mean by blessing? Well, I think what we're seeing is the idea to invoke God's favour or appeal to God. Think of Jesus on the cross. Stephen, the first martyr. What did they do? Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Bless them with your forgiveness. That is very different to hating someone, isn't it? But it was those people who Jesus uh, is on the cross for, because of. It was those people who put him there that he's saying to God, forgive them. No one is out of God's reach and he says to his, his people, follow my lead. And then, if that's not uh, clear enough, the third specific, pray for those who mistreat you. 
clearly there's a sense of in the uh, idea of um, persecution for following him. And I think I've said this before, but why don't you foster bitterness, hatred and plot revenge at someone who's done you wrong? Think about doing that and then pray for them and keep that together. You can't do it, can you? Praying for someone transforms how you think about them. The challenge is, are you willing to pray and pray honestly and sincerely? Who has wronged you? Your enemies that have wronged you. Do you constantly pray for them? Not just that they're so wrong and evil and it's kind of a a bitter prayer of uh, anger, but a prayer full of grace uh, that will see a transformation, that you will be gracious to them. Or you can take the world's approach and you can seek out revenge, which we see Jesus deals with. kind of challenging right <laughs> it's, it's kind of challenging we need to get to why we live this way and what jesus does he he kind of outlines four illustrations of loving and these illustrations make it even more complex in a way that then give us clarity and challenge us four illustrations of loving that raise the bar higher i think the first one is is that you allow slapping if someone's, verse 29, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Love involves not defending your rights and accepting wrongs committed against, against you by being willing to forgive. Plus, the added proviso of being willing to turn around a second time and offer help, even if it may not be appreciated. Love is available, love is vulnerable and it may mean being mistreated. You can't turn the other cheek cheek, and seek revenge. It's not okay. Uh, You know, some of you know I'm a bit tragic for uh, uh, superhero movies. I do enjoy them. But if revenge as an idea was taken out of the movie, I think the whole genre collapses. They're built on revenge and righteous revenge. Revenge is not okay. And I think we see this whole idea of slapping on the cheek, that it's a, it's a, um, it's a personal thing. This is not how governments interact. This is how individuals relate to people. And what is the slap? I think in the context, it makes sense to see it as insults. This religious concept, context, I think it's saying that these insults uh, are what's being dealt with. And I think it's the approach that we see the Apostle Paul take. He didn't go out and take Jesus' command to bring the gospel to all the world as we see in Acts and all these letters that he's written in the New Testament. But then when his uh, cheek was slapped with the insults that he faced, he tried to take them down. 
he continued to persevere and explain the gospel. He didn't hold back from telling the truth. That's not what we're talking about. But he was willing to say, you need to forgive. And Paul knows only too well, he was the enemy of enemies. He was the enemy of enemies towards uh, Jesus before he was converted. That's a challenging idea, isn't it? But God is saying that my people want to be loving and not seek out retribution when wronged. The second point is, I've labelled kind of tongue-in-cheek, love involves nudity, is the second illustration. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. That is, if they take your outer garment, give them all your clothes. Take them all off. Generosity is not dependent on how people treat you. It's just not. The picture of robbery uh, where we do not seek revenge is, I think, where this context comes from. You see, if if, uh, you were going to continue the mission journey, as Paul did, and the gospel went out, what happens? You have to go on the roads. And as you go out on the roads, where do those who want to steal and rob, they do it in between the travelling, in between the cities. And if they take your coat, don't try and take them down. You let, let it take place. The point is that, is that I think although one is exposed to hostile religious opponents, one should continue to be vulnerable to repeated onslaughts without seeking revenge. That's what's going on. How do we feel about that? We have missionaries all around the world where that application actually becomes way more real than maybe to us. Although, as we think about it, it's more and more real for us, particularly in social contexts and how um, our society is moving. How do we think about it? Our dear sister Steph was a missionary in a a part of the world where having your stuff stolen to be one who loves Jesus is not okay. And you do not seek out revenge. You do not seek out onslaughts in those contexts. You seek to share grace. So, being willing to forgive, not withholding our shirt, and then being willing to be generous is the third one. Give to everyone who asks you, in verse 30. Being always prepared to respond generously. Give to everyone who asks you. A sincere readiness to meet needs. Is that you? A sincere readiness to meet needs without being prejudiced. Give to everyone. 
That's not you give everything you have when someone asks. There's a genuine need. Do we choose to offer it to some and not to others? Are we willing, if someone comes uh, to Grove and they're here one week, to help them out as much as someone who's been here from the beginning? Generosity is a fundamental, concrete expression of love. Generosity is a fundamental, concrete expression of love. Are you a generous person? Or is that something that today you need to bring before God and say, that's not in my makeup, I need it to be? Fourthly, there is no expectation to be compensated. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. It's really difficult. Self-denial that is generous and may even win over others is what's called for. Now, the thing is, as we look at these little illustrations that Jesus has given, there's a big question lurking. You may be thinking about it in some ways as you're wrestling with it. How literally do we take them? It's like what I said about the, you know, the, the, the nudity one, because one of the commentators pointed out, if you take that literally, that's where you end up. Jesus spoke here in absolute terms. Are we to be absolute in our application of it? I don't think it's actually practical or possible. I think he's speaking in a hyperbolic command-like way. That is hyperbolic to be deliberately exaggerating. I think he's deliberately exaggerating to speak in an absolute way to shock the readers into seeing how different his kingdom is. Because it stands so vividly in contrast to one's own thinking. It stands in contrast to my natural thinking. It's upside down and Jesus speaks clearly in this way so that we can continue to reflect and challenge ourselves and push ourselves to love very differently. Jesus' demand for love is wide, deep and long. And what better way to show that to us than speaking in such absolute ways that shocks us into a new way of thinking? And so, there is a golden rule. As it's known, verse 31, as comes out of Leviticus 19, do to others as you would have them do to you. You want the same consideration for yourself as what you want others to do. Love is unconditional. And it's not a, I've had this said to me by someone, well, I want to be left alone, I want to be all by myself, I'm okay with being I'm okay with being treated rudely so uh, so I can treat others rudely said a relative of mine yeah you can that's what you can do well in the part of the context of this whole passage in 27 to 30 being very clear that's obviously not what that verse means I think it's way more sensible as Bach was pointing out there's sensitivity to treat your preferences, so to treat others with the sensitivity to their preferences in the context of loving as a whole. 
You don't impart your ways on others, but you seek to love each other as they need, as you need, in a God way. We don't distort love as we, as we try and think that through. At this point, where are you being challenged? At where in all of that are you being pushed to reassess how you love? Because we get three more illustrations of what upside down love looks like. And I think these three illustrations are summarized quite clearly by the fact that Jesus is saying love does not discriminate. It doesn't look at a certain group of people and go, I don't need to love them, but I need to love them. And yet, if we consider the world and the conflicts we have in this world, the problems we have with our nation, the problems we have in the world where there's war, it's exactly the problem. This is completely revolutionary. And it doesn't discriminate. And Jesus gives three negative examples to show his disciples that love is very different. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Like, whoop-de-doo, you love those who love you, great. Jesus says, even sinners love those who love them. Of course. Those in jail often have people to come and visit them because they love each other. I've possibly said it before, I think I have. It's sitcom love. It's every single comedy's love that the model is we have a group of friends who love each other, who are really close, and then the comedy comes about because all the other people around them, they treat really badly and don't love. Pick a comedy, I bet you you can see that play out. It's the model. Friends, Scrubs, Seinfeld especially. They didn't even like each other. Um, and it goes on. Parks and Rec. Whatever, whatever comedy you've seen at some point and you've liked, that's how it plays out, isn't it? You pick those you love and then cause chaos to everyone else around you. There is no hidden motivational agenda. We see that in the other illustrations. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. What Luke's doing is saying it's not just your feelings of how you need to think about your enemies or those who you need to love. You need to act lovingly. And so an application of that act is let's think about lending. And he says in verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That is not a new kingdom type of love. There's no different way a display of love than seeing all the different types of reality shows which bring up love in some way. They're overwhelmingly painful in my mind. <laughs> love Island, Married at First Sight, Bachelor in Paradise, and the list goes on of all these type of shows where love is all about you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and we look fabulous and everyone else is jealous of us. Is that not what they are? Have you seen the ad for Bachelor in Paradise where one of the characters lays out her list? It's been on a lot. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this list, if you've seen any television, this list that she has of what her magical guy is like. It's, he needs to be intelligent, witty, loving, affectionate, spontaneous, funny, adventurous, committed, respectful, playful, adoring, spiritual, a man of God. Give me a break. High energy, healthy, accepting, understanding, inspired to be the best person they could possibly be. 
Wow. That is who I'm looking for. Someone to give me all of my needs. I can be totally scratched and maybe I'll do two or three of those things for him. It's a totally different perspective and yet we are constantly bombarded with this world's way of love, which is so wrong. And so we get to 35, but let's come back to where we started. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. That is, express God's gracious character to those who are potentially ungrateful, immoral, and in conflict with you. He says, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. See, the reward is a relationship with him. To to love this way is the reward. It is mind-blowing when we come to this way. Why do we do this? Why do we think this way? Verse 36. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I've got here in really big red letters, so I better make sure I get this across. I'm going to love like this, and so follow my lead. That is what Jesus is saying, if we can summarize it. How do we understand all of this passage and all of its complexity and the fact that it's kind of hyperbolic in its nature? We see the example of Jesus. We see the example that saves us. I'm going to love you like this. So follow me. Jesus is the model and an epitome of everything he's just outlined. In John 13, uh, John brings this up a lot in his gospel. Um, and there's a bigger, in John 15, he even goes further. But in 13, in uh, 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love as I have loved you. You are to follow my example. If you want to know what it is to be part of God's people and to live together, you just examine Jesus' life and you wrestle with how does he transform us. We do not repay evil with evil. Paul took this understanding and just kind of enmeshed it throughout all his letters. And in Romans 12, that's what he says. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, there's so much about love in 1 John, if you know 1 John. And we see in uh, 3.16, with great clarity, this is how we know what love is. And then he goes on on this philosophical view of love and getting into the nitty-gritty. No, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Likewise, Paul makes it very clear, not just that he laid down his life for us, the fact that we're told to love our enemies, who are you before God without Jesus? You are his enemy. Romans, 
where he's trying to make it clear of the certainty that we have in the gospel in this section and he wants to help people understand their place before God and we read from Romans 5 verse 6 you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this why we were still sinners Christ died for us in that section Paul does continue to go on to talk about that we are enemies without Jesus the reason that his people love this way is that if God did not love us this way we are hopeless we have no way of being in relationship with him we have no hope of the future there is no eternity because we have been the hating ones we are the enemies of God without Jesus and he changes us so as we finish I've gone a bit gone a bit longer but I want to just continue with a few final points of reflection we need to live unimpressively if you're a follower of Jesus let me give you a few ideas first of all destroy your self-entitlement whatever that looks like for you that I've earned this or this belongs to me it could be within Christian context it could be in any other context I'm entitled to this are you really or is it by the grace of God you've been saved by him why do we continue to live with a sense of superiority and sometimes arrogance I pray that God will continue to work on me and shed that from me. The sense of superiority and sometimes arrogance is the way of the world. How do you finish this sentence? I'm entitled to have. We love out of God's love for us. Not because I'll feel good and get love back. Secondly, spend some time this afternoon reassessing how you love and who you love. It is a fundamental call of the Christian to love who loves Jesus is to love. We build it into our DNA that Christ's love compels us to share the gospel because it is at the very heart of what it is to be a follower of him. Pray for those who you're in some kind of difficulty with. I want to challenge you to self-diagnose yourself. To think, where are my prejudices? And if you don't think you have any brothers and sisters, can I humbly say to you, you're wrong and you do and you've got to own up to them? That is part of the problem that we have. If we own up to them and shed them, we can be a lot more loving and gracious and kind. And reflect more how God wants us to be. Thirdly, remember what we have and what will be. We have been given mercy, and what will be is eternity. Wednesday will be a great celebration because we'll get to see our dear sisters. Uh, reflect on our dear sister's life 
there's not many people that I know who have clearly shown us what it is to live in an unimpressive way that when other people look at what she's done and how she lived, where she went and how unimpressive it looks. But she can do that. She did that all her life. We can do that because of the mercy that is given and the eternity that is real. Fourthly, God has the impressive in view. That's why he says, love your enemies. And we need to remember that. A church that does not look out and want to proclaim the gospel is failing fundamentally. A church that thinks, I want to stay this size because it's good and it makes sure we can all be a community together is fundamentally broken. We want to continue to see the those that look impressive come to love Jesus. God wants you to be warned if you think you don't need him. Because lastly, we don't seek to live in this loving way to earn the kingdom. We don't seek to live this way in love so that God can say to us, okay, you and I can be friends because you loved heaps. We seek to live this way because God first loved us. And if there's any of us here today who are wrestling with whether God loves me, whether I should follow him, whether this whole new way is something I should embrace, don't go away today thinking, okay, I've got to go away being a better person. That would be to miss the point. You go away today remembering that Jesus went to the cross so that you can be with him forever. That you don't earn it. He gives it to you. You accept the offer to be part of this unimpressive kingdom through his death and resurrection. And then his spirit transforms you to live for him and you work that out day by day. Can I encourage you to wrestle with that if that's where you're at? You can make that decision today if it's clear for you. Easter is coming and we get to see this with more clarity. And we're a church, it's on about people moving from being in the impressive kingdom to the unimpressive kingdom because of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has given us life. We thank you that you are a great God that we are about to sing. Don't let us go away today thinking we need now to be better to earn your favour. Thank you that Jesus has brought us into this kingdom. Help us by your spirit to transform our hearts and minds to live loving as Jesus loved us. In his mighty and glorious name we pray. Amen.